30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Hi, Devin. Welcome to This Podcast is a Ritual. I'm your host, L.A. Marks. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This is fun to be uh, in the other chair. Yeah, you know, I, I set this up so I could really just give you a taste of your own medicine, you know. Long overdue. <laughs> so uh, for those of you at home who are listening, we are huddled up in the Citadel, the third floor of Avalon, our mystical Louisville uh, hideaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are going to record a unedited, off-the-cuff, unscripted uh, sneak peek into the usually kind of hidden away world of our relationship. Pulling, pulling back the curtain. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, L.A. Marks is my fiance. She is a poet and runs the international poetry agency Ars Poetica. Um, she was previously on an episode about writing haiku in the early stages of the podcast. One of the great hit episodes. Yeah. But then for recently, newer listeners, you're going to want to go back and, and listen to that episode. That's like what? Maybe like episode 10 or 12 it was very or early. something. Yeah, it was very early. Um, but then two sort of things converged. Um, I had some scheduling things and didn't have a guest booked. And Oh, so I'll- I'm just a second <laughs> string pinch no, hitter. No, you're very important. And I asked you as a favor to step in and help me do something a little different because we've been having... He woke up this morning and he was like, oh, heck, I haven't recorded a podcast for this week. Who Who could I interview? Certainly not Mitch the cat. No, yeah, that didn't work. He he wandered off and didn't didn't speak into his microphone very well. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I I asked you as a favor to see if you would um, help me let go of the wheel of my own ritual vehicle and step into the passenger seat. And so, so now here I'm we are. driving the Hummer. You're driving the Hummer of this podcast is a ritual and Devin's life overall. <laughs> uh, so the the theme. The theme that we've been discussing really acutely in the past couple weeks mm-hmm. uh, has been vulnerability. Uh, should that be our magic word today? Or do you have a magic word that you'd like to share with me as we kick I'm gonna off? I'm going to go with a slight twist on it. I'm going to go with the word exposed. Ooh, exposed. Yeah, so kind of three. One, two, three. Exposed, <sighs> which is one element of vulnerability, which is the first question I wanted to ask you just on the spot right now this morning. What do you feel is your working definition of the term vulnerability and how it applies to your life right now? Well, the image that's coming to mind is thinking of a turtle 
with the obviously hard exterior shell, but then often the softer underbelly that they want to keep low to the ground to avoid being exposed because that's where they're vulnerable. Mm. Um, I know that it's not necessarily like weakness and there is strength and vulnerability as well, but I think if we kind of think about, uh, to use a fantasy reference, Smog the dragon in The Hobbit has a vulnerability. He has a little hole in his armor where Frodo or Bilbo, sorry, is able to shoot an arrow and take him down. So you think of vulnerability as a fatal flaw? No, I think of it as the thing that we're afraid of as our flaws or our ugly parts or less good parts, the things that we don't want to show and expose to other people in the same way. Most of us want to put our best foot forward. If we're going to the party, we want to look nice. If we're going to go on stage, we want to speak well. We don't want to uh, stammer over our words or, you know, talk about something that might be embarrassing or feel risky to have other people know about. What if I told you I think part of your journey uh, and many people's journey with vulnerability is actually to let go of the definition of vulnerability as uh, something that hinders you or is um, painful or should be hidden away. And it's actually um, your magic power, secret sauce, the, the inherent thing that makes you human. Absolutely. I think that's that's the the big idea and what's hard to get to. And if you continue to think about my example of a turtle, turtles have this big, thick shell. but Which actually the shells have nerve endings, too. People yeah. think they're just like a rock on there. It's like they can feel things sure. through their shells. Yeah. Yeah. I learned this on a TikTok. Oh, good. That's I'm glad that we have that nice source have of you seen the videos where they use a toothbrush to give them little massages on their shells and get the like fungus off of them no i'll do that for you later oh good but my point with the turtle is that they're very slow moving so they've traded you know this protection for this kind of bulkiness and i think so you're the tortoise and i'm the hare well yeah absolutely but there's I think that metaphor will lead us in a weird direction. But yeah, I think you are very... Oh, slow and steady wins the race. Damn. Right. You're very into moving fast and having a new idea and spinning it up and throwing lots of things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Whereas I tend to be what I regarded as strategic for a long time, but now I see as guarded being a part of that as well, of saying, mm -hmm. okay, I only want to take on projects where I'm like really confident in this idea and I really think it's going to work. I definitely want to avoid doing events where no one's going to show up or it's going to flop and where I risk that vulnerability of potential failure. Vulnerability equals risk. Yeah. Uh, so I have a question, you know, for me, this has been a lifelong journey. I'm also someone who I don't know. I don't think that being vulnerable is actually the thing that I'm best at. I think mm -hmm. there are other people, other women in particular, who um, have a more natural ability to be that way, to be soft and gentle mm -hmm. and exposed. And uh, so I'm wondering if you have any like pivotal memories or moments in your journey as um, a more masculine person, especially, and as yourself specifically, 
um, when you started to tackle the feeling of needing to bring more acts of vulnerability into our relationship? Well, I think what's been hard and we all kind of have our like, you know, shell that we're maybe aware of. And then there's other shells that we're less conscious of. And we think that's like, oh, that's being vulnerable. But really, it's just kind of like a a second jacket or something. My metaphors are getting strained today. But I think because there's a standard of masculinity that is like the John Wayne rigid, I'm not going to cry, like I can't hug my guy friends, that there's this standard that I never saw myself fitting into that I was like, oh, I'm totally good at being vulnerable. Great. Like that's not an issue I need to work on. I'm happy to talk about my feelings. But Because I remember one conversation that we had that was really eye-opening for me and I think heart-opening as well was when I asked you what vulnerability actually meant to you and you said talking about your feelings Mm -hmm. that was like the kind of beginning and end for you of what vulnerability meant from that John Wayne perspective right yeah that if I'm talking about something that I don't like that's me being vulnerable when really that's me just complaining or expressing something and it's really figuring out um one, the areas of discomfort that I think we're prone to avoid and realizing that like there's something there and that just avoiding it, you know, it's not like you have to go do every painful and pleasant thing in the world. And that's the secret is just to like thrash yourself against it. But, you know, the example that I can give is for a long time, I thought the way that I thought about doing public events and performances was me being strategic and thoughtful and caring and attentive and having a holistic vision. And it was all of these positive things and not realizing that there was a control aspect there, that I wanted to make sure that I had the deck stacked in my favor. I wanted to do a performance where my friends were coming and I kind of knew what the vibe was going to be. And I had checked out the angles in advance and that's very different than just you know responding to somebody else's request and just saying sure whatever your terms are I'll do it what helped you evolve your sense of vulnerability from just talking about your feelings to having to relinquish control and go with someone else's flow even if it's a flow that you might not prefer or even know if it's the best one that's still hard. And I mean, I think it's still that feeling of recognizing that the thing that I think is the right answer, the mistake that I think I'm trying to help myself or a group avoid might not be other people's reality. And other people's reality, the thing that I'm insisting on is wrong, dangerous, not a good plan. And, um, being able to uh, shift perspective and kind of unclench from the like certainty into, oh, okay, like I'm going to do like, you know, there's three doors. I'm really sure it's in door number one. Like I'm so positive it's in door number one. Everyone else is trying to convince me it's door number three. I think they're wrong, but suddenly realizing 
okay, there's not that much to lose by trying door number three. And then when you realize, wow, everyone was right. I totally had a different read on that situation. I think that's kind of an aha moment. And Because you have been wrong before. On occasion. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about that ties into this theme, especially that we were discussing yesterday, the theme of respect? Mm. Yeah. Where do vulnerability and respect intersect for you? And I know this is a work in progress, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, again, there's, um, with what I was just describing, there's a primacy of what I am perceiving is the most accurate, best version, which means that other people's perceptions are less good and therefore not as respected. And so being able to realize that the way that somebody else is thinking about things the idea that they have, the plan that they have is not something for me to consider, but for me to, you know, just acquiesce to or just promote, not based on, ah, I've, I'm the door guy. You gave me the plan. I vetted it and approved it and passed it in. But instead saying, hey, there is no door guy. Whatever's going to show up is cool. And I'm just here to be at the party, not try and like, create and control and moderate it the relinquishing of control comes up again mm -hmm. it's like control vulnerability respect uh, they are kind of inextricable in in yourself and i wonder if that's the case for like all people or mm -hmm. if that's really specific to your journey yeah well i think that what, what i can talk about with wizardry is again for me it's sort of seeing the things that you put into place and thought, okay, that's, I've done a good job. Like that's already settled. And then you come and look at it later and you say, oh, there's something hiding behind that. Mm -hmm. And so early on in my wizard journey, I recognized the way that the um, hero's journey has infiltrated American culture. And this is from Joseph Campbell. This is the idea that it's the monomyth, which is in all other cultures, which there's some you know issues with that idea. But for the most part, a lot of stories are about a hero that goes off, faces adversity, has a moment where it's like they're really, you know, the bad guy's beating them up. They're lost. They don't know what they're going to do. Every they, Marvel movie. They find their way. Every Marvel movie. They come back and they return having changed. They got the power up. They beat the bad guy. The world's now a better place. And I realized that our cultural narrative, especially as a millennial growing up in the 80s and 90s and 2000s in American culture, uh, that that was sort of just in everything. And we had this idea that we're supposed to go on our hero's journey and be the best and succeed, whether that's at music or business or whatever thing, we're supposed to go be the best, overcome challenges and like win the game. And that I thought that that was sort of problematic because it really is zero sum. There's winners, losers. You're only a winner if you're the very best. But if you're the very best, you're not going to be up there that long and there's a lot of problems. So I thought I was quite clever in recognizing that the wizard is not the hero. The wizard is there to help the hero. And so I wanted to, you know, obviously have my own adventures and share my ideas, but I wanted to focus on how can my magic resonate with other people, whether they're people at a performance, people listening to this ritual, clients that I work with, how can I help other people? And what I'm only now coming to realize is that is still a position of control. It's saying I have 
the helpful advice. Here, let me give you the answer. It is not being the other side of the hero who is taking the risk to go into the underworld to experience challenge and has to have that helplessness so that they can then realize the gifts that other people are giving mm-hmm. to them and find strength in that, not from their own, you know, again, the more like independent, willful hero's journey where they're just the toughest one and they're, nothing's going to stop them and they pull themselves up by the bootstraps and keep going but rather the vulnerable side of the hero of they're lost, they don't know how to keep going, and then it's another character, or a wizard, a magic item, something that was given to them that helps them achieve that breakthrough, something external. So do you think you, you're you kind of seeing that you, to some extent, almost threw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of you were like, I don't want to get stuck in this grind to have to become this successful achiever. So you were like, I'm going to, you opted out almost of too much to still maintain what small amount of control you could. Yes. And now a new paradigm is emerging. Mm-hmm. Even Merlin was vulnerable and made mistakes and embarrassed himself and got trapped in a tree for a thousand years. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, I think one of the things that I've thought about is often in these stories, the wizard figure is kind of like ripe for a prequel because they've had their other adventure. And we see this in culture where Obi-Wan in Star Wars mm. now got to have his own show and prequels about how did he have his adventures that led him to be this wise old Jedi out in the Are we going to write a screenplay and pitch it to Disney? I think they're kind of pulling back on their streaming content right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but Dumbledore is another example. Like in Harry Potter, you get these glimpses that Dumbledore had to fight this other Voldemort-like bad guy and actually has a lot of regret about his mentorship of Voldemort and the mistakes that he made. It's almost like you can only become the wizard when you've already had your own fraught hero's journey so Mm -hmm. that you can really understand it. Yeah, when you decide that you're going to identify as a wizened, elderly, archetypal character at age 30, you uh, you skip some stuff <laughs> that you only learn via experience. And so that's... Do you think that was quite egoistic of you? Oh, of course. How do you foresee being able to, I don't know, fight that is the right word, but how do you foresee being able to soften and let go of that ego driving force of knowing it all and being above it all i mean i think making fun of myself letting other people make fun of me and doing things like this where i talk about blind spots and you know open up to see other people's perspectives i think there's an inherent paradox with the wizardry that is more egregious in the like meditation mindfulness guru space Mm. because if you are the world's most famous meditation guru and you're giving all of these talks about how to surrender your ego and not focus on yourself it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way that you're let's i'm just gonna pick on deepak chopra but you're deepak chopra and your like face and name is plastered over everything you're charging people to come fill an auditorium and see you talk about selflessness there's a very weird tension there 
And I was aware that, okay, you know, probably the person who is like the most enlightened is just living in a hut somewhere and enjoying their simple life and not trying to go on book tours. So if I'm going to be a wizard, theoretically, I should be like... But you're planning your book tour right now. That's true. But I theoretically, I'm supposed to be like Yoda and go live in a hut and just, you know, vibe in the swamp, chilling with the forest. So there is... But you see how you like don't do that at all, right? No, I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's already like almost hypocritical. Absolutely. Your and that's vision why of yourself is that to... you're in a hut, but you're totally not. Yeah. And I have to, I think, kind of... If I deny that paradox and try and like explain it away, then that feels disingenuous. And I think the only solution I've found so far is to acknowledge it and to play with it and to, you know, like my idea of growth and personal journey isn't to just sand off every little weird thing that's like different about yourself or quote unquote bad. Like if you have a need for attention and it's unacknowledged and you're dominating every conversation and always making it about you and not listening to other people, I think that's bad. But I don't think the solution is for someone to say, oh, I have an internal need for attention. I should have zero attention. I should like wear a cloak and hide in the shadows and never be seen. I think having that self-awareness is at least what I've tried to do of saying, yeah, like since I was a little kid, I liked wearing weird costumes. I was the punk in high school. I've always liked being the oddball. I want to embrace that and use that in a thoughtful way. But then I think part of the journey is always seeing, you know, things that you thought you were doing well. There's a little bit more there and areas where you can shift. And yeah, I mean, how do I be a public wizard without living in a swamp? I don't know. Figuring it out. Well, you sound very composed and very confident about what you're saying right now. You know, you're sitting mm -hmm. here with me and you're acknowledging that it's a work in progress and that these are new ideas for you, but you still don't sound like you're actually being vulnerable. You're not sharing anything that feels super raw or exposed right now. So I'm wondering if you're able to call up something to share something that's a little more um, raw or f fresh or give us just a tiny peek into the messier, less becoming side of what you're working on with vulnerability right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's again, I think that's a trap because I, I, I feel like I'm generally pretty good in conversation and can think about things and some element of that process yeah, you don't have to talk. You don't have to away. talk gibberish. You can yeah. just share something that's maybe share something that's uncomfortable for you to share. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, some of these conversations have been, you know, we're in a community. We have friends and people around us and something that you and I have both experienced being people who are often louder and more energetic and kind of out there. We do sometimes have a kick me sign on our back. Well, we also sometimes step on other people's toes without realizing that. And that goes back to being a kid. Like, I remember specifically being at, like, a McDonald's play place, and some other kid was upset by something I'd said, and I was, like, bewildered because this kid's crying to his mom, and my mom's trying to explain to me, like, that kid's more sensitive. Mm -hmm. Like, that kid has a different experience of the world, and the way that you're used to joking 
felt bad for that other kid. And that is something that has been very hard for me because often it's in my blind spots. And so I think I'm being fun and engaging and everyone's laughing along with me and we're having a good time. And then when I have this like pivot moment, it's like the magic eye puzzle suddenly becomes something else. And you're like, whoa, that's not what I thought it was. And I realized that I was a jerk and I hurt somebody else's feeling or talked over them or they felt intimidated or they felt like I was making fun of them. It's a really uncomfortable, icky feeling that I like hate. It makes my skin crawl. And then you can sometimes reject that if someone's trying to tell you that, right? Exactly. Because it's so difficult to face. Right. Instead of diving in and admitting, wow, I must be really doing that, creating stories about that person's too sensitive or they just are jealous of me or whatever kind of self-protective story. So I think that is one example. And then very specifically, um, I threw an event this weekend. We had a lovely little garden party where my alter ego, Devin the Gnome, played music. And I'm running the event. So I'm like in organizer mode. I'm trying to coordinate people. I'm trying to see what's going on. And then when we were trying to get to the after party, I was still in that mode of thinking, I have to be the one in charge. I have to coordinate the group. I have to do all of these things. And my dear friend Morgan was trying to manage something and actually had much more information than I had, but I was totally oblivious to it until some of my other friends were able to be like, hey, you need to let go. You need to relax. There's something else happening. You don't see what's going on right now because you're so myopically focused on what you think is the path you're trying to thread the needle to the slightly better reality that you've planned. You're not acknowledging other people's ability to unlock those doors and get us there. And that was just like a whoa. And I felt like a little bit embarrassed, but I also was able to shift and feel much more grateful, I think, than usual. And just like be like, all right, put me in the backseat. Yeah, I don't need to drive. I'm sorry, everybody. Like, I'm in the wrong. Hmm. Yeah, that was really cool to see you acknowledge that and see us all able to just recalibrate and not have to dwell on it either. Yeah. You know, sometimes those things are a lot more awkward to deal with. You yeah. totally could have been defensive and or, or gotten embarrassed and been like, I'm going home or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, like <laughs> it's tricky with some people because I think I, I'm going to keep this idea of shells. It's like you have your basic shell that you sort of created and that's the default. You have like a fake secondary shell where you're like this is my soft underbelly but it really it's just another layer. And then you have this like defensive shell that will shut down around and sometimes that's even harder and more external and then the people or close to you. Or it's even full of like poison. Right. Are <laughs> like oh cool this person's doing this thing wrong is it safe for me to let them know that? Or is their defense mechanism going to be so painful and frustrating for me that it's not worth it? And so it's like the threat of it. Oh my gosh, this, like is reminding, this is reminding me so much of the episode of Dave that we watched where the woman is realizing that she doesn't want to have a hookup with this guy mm -hmm. and that she has to reject him. Mm -hmm. And then he immediately starts to lash out at her and kind of try to twist some blame on her to prove to him his unconscious mind that mm -hmm. this rejection is not his fault. Right. And that that she is 
wrong or or something and he was even using like those little psychobabble terms to try mm -hmm. to like weaponized against mm -hmm. her and then she just deadpan stares him in the face and says you do not need to reject my rejection and that mm -hmm. was just like yeah. oh you know so many women can't even bear to try to reject a man for in any way whether it's in the boardroom or the bedroom yeah. because they're so scared rightfully so of the retaliation that will happen yeah. if they reject them i mean i've experienced that so many times and i think in our relationship oddly because i think our relationship is one of the most egalitarian heterosexual relationships that i personally know I think we've actually both done that to each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a classic move. I've been on both sides of it of, ah, you're telling me the problem and I'm listening and understanding your problem and then explaining how it's actually not my fault or there's some rejection of it, but it's this smooth kind of loop and it's like, like a cartoon, right? Where somebody runs into the saloon and then gets spun around and then comes like right back <laughs> out. And it's like, wait, hold on. I thought I just ran in there. Yeah, the revolving door of shifting the blame. I think so much of the time we get trapped in conflict because we are working so hard. Maybe we don't even realize it, but we're working so hard to shift the blame from ourselves to someone else. And something that I noticed that we were struggling with was feeling like that was happening to us. Feeling like if if you point out something that I need to know or or if I point out something that you need to know that the feeling inside becomes you are blaming me. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think reparenting our inner child comes to play and that's a a different level of vulnerability of this is no one's fault or if anything it's the system that we're we're raised in's fault this happened to us and now it's up to us to confront it and not blame each other or ourselves but just hold space for it and nurture it and and kind of nurse ourselves back to health together well if i'm understanding what you're saying correctly it's that there's one person's pointing at the other and saying, you've got a stain on your shirt. And the other person's going, no, I can't look down until you acknowledge that you have a stain on your shirt. And we're both kind of refusing to look at our own thing because oh, I need you to see this first. And that creates this focus and intensity. Maybe more like it's like the Monty Python skit where he's like, it's just a flesh wound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your arms are chopped off and yeah. you're still trying to fight. Yeah. I'm not bleeding out. You're bleeding out. You've yeah. got to, yeah. It's and not a stain on our shirt. Yeah, it's, it's bleeding out. But then that focus and the fixation on the external thing makes it hard to look down and see your own wound and what's going on. And I think the pivot that you're describing is something we've talked about of not seeing relationship in terms of my side, your side, this thing, that thing, but the third thing, the relationship as something that we both contribute to and looking at a problem and saying, oh, here's the side of it that I've been aware of. That's the side of it that you've been aware of. Here's how we both contribute to this. And now we can start to address it holistically 
rather than just kind of myopically focusing on what one person is doing wrong or the other. Well, you no, know, not quite. I mean, okay. you, what, what you're saying is, yes, that is true, but that's not the thing I was trying to refer to. Okay. The thing I was trying to refer to is when, just to be incredibly specific, mm-hmm. when you pointed out to me over the course of, God, almost a year that it was difficult to make plans with me because I would not share enough information Mm -hmm. and that I would kind of, that you would feel like you were just the passenger in the seat on my road, Mm -hmm. in my car, where I'm just like barely giving you a peek at the map. Mm -hmm. You were trying to point that out to me. And even though I wasn't able to understand it, I knew that that I had to try to understand it because you were trying to show me something that I needed to know. Mm -hmm. And when I was trying to show you information about yourself, you were processing it as me saying, I am blaming you. This Mm -hmm. is your fault. And I was not seeing it that way. Mm -hmm. I was seeing it as when you were giving me information, I was like, oh shit, like this must be real. I need to go ask everyone I know if this is true. I need to go do research. I need to figure out what is wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And when I was trying to give you similar information, you were like, you're just blaming me, don't blame me. I was afraid that the uh, saloon door thing that I was talking about was gonna happen. You were so afraid of the saloon door Mm -hmm. that you didn't realize you were actually still in the saloon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's what changed? Whew, that's a good question. Well, I think there was a pivotal moment where I realized that I was feeling trapped and frustrated in my role as the person who is helping other people a lot of the time and really was feeling bad about not getting to be helped in the way that I saw myself helping other people. Like, you know, oh, I want to be able to do what, you know, my client I see has this amazing result. And then I go home and I'm like struggling with my issue. And a lot of my wizardry and magic is like my inventive way of dealing with that. Oh, okay, I'm dealing with this problem. How do I turn it into some sort of concept and then make that concept into something physical and then create a structure around it. But that's still me being in control, me being in charge, me trying to do it. And I think there was kind of a point of exhaustion where I was like, I'm frustrated and mad that other people aren't doing this for me. And you were able to say, when they try, you don't let them. No one's ever going to succeed No one's ever going to tell you something you don't know if you don't just listen and stop interrupting them and say, I already know that. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of an aha moment, which was painful to get through and is very fresh. But I think that uh, encouraged me to take a step back in a lot of the areas where I've seen my stubbornness as a superpower, as part of being a wizard, is seeing the world in a different way and being a kook. And of course, not everyone's going to see it your way. That's the whole point of being a radical and a visionary. Instead saying, oh, there's a lot underneath that that would be good to clean out and work with and acknowledge. And I'm, yeah, hiding a lot of unpleasant things in that and the fear 
was if I loosen my grip on that at all, suddenly I'm just going to be swept into some version of wizardry that is not my dream and not what I want it to be. But realizing that that clinging wasn't um, wasn't very wizardly either. Mm. I love hearing that. Well, it's cool to document this moment because we just came to a culminative conversation over the past week and really learned how to see the way um, to better show each other that we respect each other and we trust each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a very different path and a very different type of realization for each of us, but they both were kind of two sides of the same coin, which sure. I think is really cool because now we can we can support each other mm -hmm. and be really, really sensitive and gentle and soft with each other as we, we kind of try to implement these yeah. realizations. And it's, it's such a perfect timing because we're uh, at the end of a major project for me. So I can turn attention back to these things and we're, we're beginning to plan um, the rest of our summer, which is going to involve a lot of uh, physical journeys, not just emotional journeys and mm -hmm. a lot of time and space to care for each other and be vulnerable with each other. Um, mm -hmm. Not least of all is our month long journey to Sweden mm -hmm. that you've been preparing for by studying Swedish language yeah. very, very devotedly. Um, and I mean, this is an area that I think is a perfect example of vulnerability for you because you do not like to be embarrassed mm -hmm. your ability to verbally communicate is one of your superhero strengths mm -hmm. in english language yes <laughs> english only so uh, how do you feel like you can take these learnings and apply them to continuing to study swedish and practice swedish with me uh and and then go on our trip well i think whew. I studied Spanish and had the vision of wanting to move to a Spanish-speaking country and live and be an expat, and that's what I was sort of working towards in my 20s. And then I went to Buenos Aires, and I had a great time, but felt so stymied by not being able to express myself fully. Mm. Being me involves making jokes, making pop culture references, playing with words, puns, all of this stuff, and asking somebody... Do you like working at the library? I have four brothers, like is not the same eloquence that I was used to. And I got very frustrated and I said, okay, forget this plan. I'm going to move to New York instead. And Which thank goodness you did because then we met. Right. You know, I think there's <laughs> a lot of value in detours. It's not like there's one perfect way to do things. But we've talked about how you are so much more comfortable being uncomfortable and doing things that other people might see as embarrassing or cringy or putting yourself out there. You know, I think the queen of cringe over here. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you're someone who could send out a hundred emails and get one business deal that comes through and you'd be celebrating and saying, Oh my God, I got a business deal. This is amazing. A lot of other people would be saying, I got 99 rejections. What's wrong with me? This is so bad. And I oh, think, well, it's a numbers game. I think with language, you're very quick to start speaking, being excited, wanting to talk to people, whereas I'm in my head thinking, how do I say it correctly? And mm. um, yeah, so today is about me trying to 
think about these private conversations and then bring them into the ritual, which is both about magic and all of the other topic philosophical things that we discuss here, but it's also about me. I'm the wizard at the center of the ritual. I try not to be an egomaniac. I try and share things from my experience because I think it's important to pull back the curtain and see that the wizard is not just the big glowing green head. It's a little man who, you know, his balloon blew off course. And what I'm trying to do in this conversation and I'm aware that I'm going to fail and accidentally do the other thing, is the self-help speaker who goes through the hard times and then goes and talks about them on stage, even when they're not trying to, no matter how much they say, it was the most painful experience I've ever been through, I had to give up everything I knew, blah, 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 it sounds triumphant. It sounds like that hero's journey where even when they're telling you, I don't think I have all the answers, the subtext is, now I have all the answers. And so what I'm trying to do here is give the messy version, not just go talk to a vulnerability expert and make it external and make it about, here's somebody else who wrote a book on being vulnerable, but just inviting you to interrogate me and give up some control, although obviously I'm still steering as I, I do in a conversation, um, and push into topics and things that it would be, you know, a very different version of I was just narrating this out loud rather than letting you um, push us. And part of that is that balance of personal, private, public with, you know, our Sweden trip where I'm going to be doing more podcasts about it. It's a big thing that we're doing. I'm really excited about it. Sweden's very magical. We're going to be connecting with magical people. We've got podcast guests coming up, but I'm much more like, oh, I need to have a plan and a control and how do I bring the Sweden element into this podcast as a ritual without making it too cluttered or messy or distracting from the magical topics. And I think you just bringing that up is is, is a big part of it. You didn't really answer my question. Did I dodge? <laughs> Good, catch me, catch me out on it. Push me. What is one actionable way that you're going to relinquish control and be vulnerable with practicing Swedish with me and preparing for the Sweden trip? Mm. Are you asking me to speak Swedish right now or are you asking me to commit to practicing with you in the future? Well, I mean, we've done a couple of things that we both committed to and we haven't fulfilled them really. I, I have not felt comfortable to push you because there are things that you are more hesitant on. And so I kind of need to see something like or, or hear something that it, it that isn't me having to make it be like pulling your teeth out. Mm hmm. So um, do will. Uh, home say at Viska Prata Svenska Medvarandra Varje Mondog Bara en dag i veckan ska vi prata. En dag i veckan. Vada? Kan vi inte göra det varje dag? Varje dag? Ja. Okej. Okay. 
Svenska frukost? Nej, det, det ska inte vara frukost, även. Det ska vara ficka. Ficka, okej. Okay. Kan vi inte ficka tillsammans varje dag? Ja. Typ inte... Uh... Du är chef. <laughs> you all heard it here. Devin has just admitted in Swedish that I am the boss and that we are going to have a Swedish fika break every workday mm-hmm. uh, and practice a little Swedish together, even though it feels uncomfortable. You can't see him right now, but I really saw your whole body clench and your adrenaline mm-hmm. pop and your your heart rate raise and. Uh, it's not that I'm like some sort of sadist or something, but just seeing you put yourself into an area of discomfort and vulnerability is incredibly satisfying and hopeful for me because that's what I think is such an important part of the journey. I don't want to see you uncomfortable, but I know that seeing you uncomfortable is what is the necessary step toward seeing you grow and, and soften and, and, um, evolve well said and i i mean i appreciate all of your pushing i know that i definitely dodged a moment ago and i think being caught out on that and then not defending against that is is an important part and yeah i think just using this as an example i was uncomfortable speaking spanish and so i moved to new york instead that doesn't mean you can't make decisions based off comfort But then I just kind of was like, oh, okay, like that's a form of discomfort that is bad. I'm not going to do that. And then I did things that a lot of people would find uncomfortable in New York. I wore wizard robes and rode the subway and talked to strangers. So I was then able to say, ah, I'm doing this. Therefore, I'm comfortable with discomfort and I'm good and I don't have to do any more learning around that. But I think coming back around and realizing, yeah, it's embarrassing to stumble through a language that you don't know and are pronouncing things wrong and you feel a little silly and is much more uncomfortable to me than going out in public and saying hey everybody look at me I'm a wizard let's talk about magic and that's why I'm really proud to be your partner in this because that's one area that I have a little leg up from you and I want to help you and support you uh, and you can just receive the help and not have to do the work you can just receive well wonderful You can just receive lots of uncomfortable, embarrassing moments. Great. <laughs> As yeah. a gift from me. <laughs> yeah, LA is going to start a prank show starring me unwittingly. Um, well, I think this has been valuable, and I hope that the audience has found you know this to be relatable and not just navel-gazing, and I'm going to just deal with my own discomfort and trust that this will resonate with people. But I think to kind of extend the magic a little bit, uh, since you're more experienced with this than I am. What is a spell that you think the listeners can do to bring a little bit more vulnerability into their life and avoid some of the traps uh, that even even I, the great and powerful Devon person, has <laughs> found myself ensnared in from time to time? Hmm. Uh, well, I think for any of our listeners that are in relationships with... Um, any person that is struggling to be vulnerable or share vulnerability, um, if, if that's you or if that's your partner, I think working with someone um, one-on-one or, or even in a small group would be a really cool ritual, um, a magic spell. 
uh, you could get together a group of two to maybe five people and you could share sharing what you need help with is incredibly vulnerable mm -hmm. um also sharing what gives you pleasure i'm finding is very vulnerable and a great opening point um, so getting together an intentional small group of people and sharing maybe one everyone sharing one thing that they are finding very pleasurable and that gives them a feeling of, of sensorial delight um, as well as something that is painful for them right now and that they need help with and then accepting help offered from one other person or from the group. I think the thing that I'd want to add from my own experience and that was that was beautiful i like that idea a lot is i could have done that in the past and cheated without even realizing i was cheating i could be like oh great yeah here's a vulnerable sounding thing that i can bring up that's painful here's a request for help which like i personally don't have as much you know like concern about asking for help um i love requesting favors in certain ways well but i think that's that's where your level of self-awareness now is important to acknowledge that times before you have put the bumpers up on those type of requests because you'll only ask for help in a very specific mm -hmm. way and then you don't actually in the past you haven't held yourself accountable to accept the help because you've decided whether or not it's valid Right. I want the help that I'm asking for specifically, not mm -hmm. the help that's offered. You're like, I want help having a cup of milk poured yeah. for me, yeah. <laughs> not I am dying of thirst and it's so painful. Will mm. someone hold liquid up yeah. to me? You yeah. know what I mean? Well, it makes me think of like the drunk friend, you know, where you're like, please drink the water. You're wasted. They're like, no, I should have more beer. And you're like, oh my God, drink the water. <laughs> it's like the help that you're not asking for. But what I was going to say is thinking about using your own discomfort as a dowsing rod. And if you're doing this exercise or even just journaling about it, if mm. it's easy you're doing to it come wrong. up with something, <laughs> then you're doing it wrong. Like, yeah, if you I'm have to push of, until it feels uncomfortable. Our physical right. bodies will will give us a really important message. Yeah. Yeah. Like if if you're like, cool, I want to do this. I'm doing it. I did it. I did a great job at it. Then probably you missed something. And then it's valuable to go back and think, where do I not want to do it? Mm -hmm. Where does my whole self scream? We don't have to do this today. We can do this a different day. Let's do it later. Maybe we could do this, but only on my terms. That's where I have started to realize. That's is, an is awesome additional point. And if if when you're doing that gut check, you're realizing that, wow, this is difficult and I don't think I'm quite hitting it, but you have someone in your life that you think you could trust with sharing that struggle with, you yeah. can actually ask someone to give you a hand with that. Sure. Like, yeah. hey, I'm supposed to do this vulnerability exercise and yeah. I'm really hitting a wall. Is there something that you've noticed about me that yeah. you've always kind of wanted to tell me but haven't really found the space for? I have actually tried that, especially with people that I've collaborated with mm. for a long time and just been like, I think... I think I'm sensing that I have a problem in this area. Yeah. Have you ever sensed that? And and 
please just do not hesitate to you are not going to hurt my feelings you know Mm -hmm. Uh, when we had our conversation on thursday and you were kind of lashing out and you're like i don't want to be mean to you let's just end this conversation right now and i was like no no like i understand what's happening here and we can keep talking i am strong enough to handle hearing a couple snide remarks you're not going to break me you Mm -hmm. know reminding yourself that the vulnerability is actually um no matter what you discover you're not going to explode into smithereens and not be able to put yourself to get back together yeah and i think the one caveat i will want to add is we're just caveating each other back and forth back and well forth. yeah exactly but i think i mean it's, refining it's, refining refining it's, it's hard to give advice with these sorts of things and i'm very wary of instagram therapy and advice and stuff because it's great in one situation and then people can apply it to something else in a way that's like not great or universalize it and while we're talking about being vulnerable i think it's important to remember that's you know start with yourself not just pushing everyone in your life to like be more vulnerable because that can be um a great way to avoid your own vulnerability like focusing on other people first oh yeah my my goal was definitely to ask yourself these questions not to force it on someone else yes you know if you're actually thinking about going into this exercise like "Mm." my boyfriend is not vulnerable. I'm going to trick him into being vulnerable. Yeah. You probably want to take a look at yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where it's yeah easy to feel like you had some breakthrough, universalize it, and then start to see, oh, everybody else isn't doing it. And I've figured it out. So, yep, that's just the one thought that I was going to say. But um, thank you for taking the wheel. You want to you wanna give us an outro? Yeah, actually, the outro is a favor that I need to do for someone, um, and it fits in perfectly. I need to record us saying the word water in Swedish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A friend of mine just shared on Instagram that she's collecting a project where she needs to have specific obscure languages sharing a word, um, the word water, in all these different languages. So I thought we could just record that uh, so that we could clip it and send it to her as an audio track. What an outro. (laughs) But that's where the beauty of my brain lies. And that's the the kind of um, random little activities that you're going to be letting yourself vulnerably explore more, right? Yep. (laughs) He's like (laughs) cringing so hard right now. Uh, But I I do really just want to say this has been a great conversation um, and I don't just mean this conversation I mean the conversation of our entire relationship mm-hmm. uh, and I want to just reiterate that it's a two-way street 100% mm-hmm. and I am honored to have been someone who got to point something out for you this most recent week uh, but you have pointed out so 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 many things to me over the years and been the only person I have ever known or been in a relationship with who has stuck it out with me to be willing to share difficult things with me. Um, You're the only person that I've been willing to really try to change parts of myself that I thought were just the way I am. And if someone doesn't like it, that's their problem. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you're also on the same page as me and you're willing to change and evolve Uh, and be real, mutually respecting 
50-50 partners moving forward into the rest of our lives. I just have never felt more calm and peaceful and loved and respected and more capable of giving you the love and respect that you crave too. Thank you. That was beautifully said. Uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head there with what this podcast is about because there's magic in the occult. And as people have probably heard me say before, the occult is that which is hidden or obscure. And shadow work gets kind of buzzy these days. And I think there's a lot of times that even when people are talking about doing their shadow work, they're kind of masking things. But I think that idea of the occult of always realizing there's something that's hidden or obscure that's going on that you can be curious about and learning more about is valuable. And then magic, to use Crowley's definition, is the art and science of creating change in accordance with will. And will is a complicated topic, but just thinking of intention. And so if we think of this process of trying to look for what are those things that I'm hiding in my own shadows and trying to obscure and look away from, and then how do I engage with them with intention to create positive change? I think that's what we're all trying to do here. Okay. Ready to say water in Swedish? Yes. I, I want to say it together, but then each of us individually, and she can use whichever one she likes the best. Sure. Okay. On three, both of us. Okay. Vatten. 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 All right. Keep tack it wet, everybody. Tack så jättemycket för att du kom och lyssnade. Hej då. Hej då.